Welcome back to Ravens Recap. It is April, finally. That means in a couple weeks we're going to be having the 2022 NFL Rookie Draft. And Ravens Nation is very excited to see who the next crop of young Ravens are going to be. And we're going to be delving into some guys who may uh, fit the bill for what the Ravens are looking at for forming their future going forward. This episode, we're going to be looking at the defense uh, with the offense in our next episode. And joining us this week to talk about the defense is uh, Jason from Huddle It Up Films. Jason, how you doing? Doing really well. Happy to be here. Love you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, man, we're excited to talk about this uh, big board of yours, go through the defense, and maybe it's worth talking off the jump. You know, we got a new defensive coordinator in town, and um, what kind of things do you think this Ravens team needs to stock up on uh, to best fit what McDonald's going to be trying to do? I think it comes down to the defensive front for, for McDonald. He's a guy that came from Michigan and relied on Ajabo, relied on agent Aiden Hutchinson, and really was able to get pressure with that front four. You didn't see a lot of the pre-snap uh, games that uh, the simulated pressure and the other things that Wink liked to do. It was more of a straightforward defense, not saying that McDonald won't be aggressive. It just won't be as confusing. The organized chaos, I expect to dissipate a little bit from our scheme. And I think to do that, you're going to need a strong defensive front. And I expect the Ravens to uh, use an early pick or two on that front four or edge rushers, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, why don't we get started with some of the edge guys first, um, because I do think there are a lot of interesting names here. Uh, You know, I I think we're probably all in agreement here. Aiden Hutchinson is probably not going to be on the board at 14, and unless the Ravens were to trade up into, you know, top three, probably unlikely that we're going to be able to pick him up. Uh, But there are a number of other guys on here which, you know, may or may not be around at 14 that I think would be pretty interesting. Um, one of the first guys I kind of wanted to talk about was uh, Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. I know his film really uh, stood out to me uh, in particular just because he's very athletic, uh, a little twitchy. He's got good size. Um, really kind of reminded me a little bit of Owe in, in a sense where he has a lot of the athletic tools but just you know needs to be able to coach him uh, up a little bit to kind of put some of his pass rush moves together. Uh, things like that but uh, man when I look at his tape though it just you know he's a really explosive dude and and could be a a real menace if he can coach him up well agreed agreed and you know I actually have uh, Trayvon Walker ahead of Hutchinson which is a break from most boards because what Trayvon Walker does I think is easily translatable and that's what he just mugs people with length and power uh, direct path to the quarterback he uses his length uh He's going to stiff arm you. He's going to basically use his leverage really well. And if you're going up against Trayvon Walker, you're going to wake up the next morning with a sore neck because it's going to be just pushed back the entire game. (laughs) You can slide him inside. I believe that he would work well against guards. He would work well against edge rushers. And I think that uh, he brings a little more versatility to his game as Hutchinson. And one of those guys that screams to me that he's going to be a better pro than he, than he was even at college. And uh, I think a lot of the attention got taken away from him because of the other studs on that Georgia defense. But Trayvon Walker is my guy. And then after watching him test, watching him move in space, which he wasn't asked to do a lot at Georgia, I was uh, I was even more convinced. Had to slide him up ahead of Hutchinson on my board. Back to back, though, it's they're 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 very close. But if I had a preference, and they're both on the board, I'm taking Trayvon Walker. 
I think he has just as high of a ceiling and a much higher floor than Hutchinson. Yeah, I, I tell you, man, that that tape of uh, a tape of Walker against Evan Neal, although you know he didn't win every rep. You could just see that it was, I mean, that was a good battle. I mean, you had Neil and Neil was playing, um, you know, with a lot of technique and just being able to hold his own in a lot of those reps. But I mean, Trayvon just had like so much strength on there. And, you know, you, you know, you kind of teach him to get his hands uh, away a little bit quicker and get in the right position. I mean, he, he was going to own those reps. Um, but I mean, you know, you have one or two of those where he just kind of had his hands up and pads up and threw Evan Neal down. I mean, that guy's 350 pounds. Like the the strength to be able to do that is just insane. So, yeah, this is a some really really interesting um, athletic uh, traits that this guy has for sure. Yeah, he's he looks so good. And there's a lot of people from Georgia we'll be talking about tonight. But to switch over to Oregon, you got Kayvon Thibodeau, which a lot of people think may fall into the range of trade up possibility for the Ravens. Very unlikely he would actually fall organically to 14. I know you have him really high on your board, Jason. I know there's a lot of uh, controversy around him. Uh, I don't know if the media is just trying to drum that up or what, but uh, what do you think, man? Do you think that's the kind of guy you would go for? He's the top defensive player on my board, and I have him above of Walker and Hutchinson, who are two and three uh, as far as defensive players on my board. And there's nothing not to like about Kayvon Thibodeau. He he actually looks like a Raven. He looks like the prototypical uh, stars that you've seen. It's not just in his physical ability. It's his, the way he gets off the line of scrimmage is extremely impressive. It's like he knows when the snap is coming. Very polished. And I hope that the off-field stuff, which, by the way, never been in trouble with the law or anything. It's just that he marches to the beat of his own drummer. And we've seen with the Ravens that they're not afraid of that. They, they just want you to be your best self. They don't try to change you into the Ravens way. First thing they always say, first thing players actually say when they come here is that I like the Ravens because they're going to allow me to be myself and be my best version of myself. So if he has other outside interests and things like that, it doesn't bother me one, one bit. I believe that there will be coaches and front offices who are a little old school and turned off by that. So Maybe there is a possibility between that and the other great players at the top of the draft that Thibodeau might fall to the eight or nine spot somewhere around there where the Ravens could get move up to that spot by maybe trading their second or maybe even get away with it by trading uh, packaging a third and fourth round pick, maybe a pick next year to go up and get a cornerstone piece of the defense. So I'm all in on Thibodeau. It's definitely a ringing endorsement if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think you bring up great points. The Ravens, they know how to bring players in here and get them to buy into the Ravens' culture. Um, And, you know, I have no doubt in my mind this organization can get this guy to play uh, the type of football that can make him a dominant force. And, man, it'll it'll be scary for teams in the AFC North if you've got Thibodeau and Adafi Owe uh, rushing the passer. That'll change the Ravens pass rush overnight for sure. If they're able to make, if that's the direction they go. And also Peter, I wanted to add that I do think that if there is a hole that you want to poke into Thibodeau's game is that he is up and down against the run. So maybe when teams see that they look at it as an effort thing and then they interview him off the field and he thinks a little bit differently, he's going to be honest with his answers instead of giving you the company line. I could, you know, all speculation. I don't get to talk to him, but if you put the two together, you know, okay, well, his his run defense, sometimes he looks a little, uh, maybe it's disinterested because he's such a good athlete. 
and then combine it with the off-field stuff. Maybe that'll scare some teams away, but not me. I mean, I put him – I love the fact that he was moved around to each side. He can stand up. He can move in coverage. He can do basically anything you want from an edge defender and not a guy that you would even want to move to the inside because he's so dominant on the edges. Maybe one of the last couple guys we want to talk about is in that top tier, maybe that will actually fall to 14 if if the Ravens get lucky, is Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State. He was one of those Georgia cats until he uh, decided to leave and actually get some playing time at Florida State. Um, the guy, I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching his tape, and I think he, uh, he'd be an excellent addition to this defense. Do you think it's worth the trade-up uh, to get uh, Thibodeau over maybe letting – Johnson come or not having to give up as much capital to go up and get him? Well, it's pretty complicated, but, you know, I, I, th- I think that for both a Thibodeau or Jermaine Johnson, I put them in the same tier for a reason. I have 10 guys in that top tier. I'll just read them off real quick for uh, listeners out there. I have Aquanu, the tackle, number one, Thibodeau, Evan Neal, Walker, Hutchinson, Cross, Sauce Gardner, then Jermaine Johnson, and then Hamilton and Stingley round out the top 10. Those are guys that I have true first round grades on, on all of those. So if you throw in a quarterback and you throw in maybe another quarterback or another wild card type pick, uh, if Thibodeau's there at eight, I'm taking him. There's, or I'm trying to trade up to get him. If Jermaine Johnson's there at eight, chances are a few other guys on that list. It's mathematically impossible for there not to be other guys on that list. So yes, I would wait a little bit on a Jermaine Johnson and say, hey, if we end up with uh, Sauce Gardner, Stingley, uh, Charles Cross, just as good of a player, just as good as a value as Jermaine Johnson, but not to knock him. He's in that top 10 true first round grade for a reason. Love the player and sneaky good move moving away from Georgia and blowing up instead of being a part, a uh, heavy part of a rotation over there because he looked dominant, went out to be a star and nailed that decision. So good, good for Jermaine Johnson. Love the player. Yeah, I really liked uh, watching his tape too. I mean, I, I think the the big thing that stood out for me is that he's one of those guys. I think you who kind of like has that sort of NFL sort of body, you know. Um, and I think Walker is one of those guys as well. And I think Thibodeau and, and Hutchinson are kind of those guys of like, you know, they look like they're NFL ready. They kind of use that to their advantage. They have the size. They have uh, some of the moves to be able to get around the outside. I think Jermaine Johnson in particular had some some great kind of swim moves to be able to get around the pocket and get some of those sacks. Uh, whereas you see a lot of these other guys of just, you know, are really high effort, high motor, but just don't use their hands as much and don't show those sort of NFL moves that you kind of see from some of those guys. Jermaine Johnson definitely showed that a lot. And it just, it looked really great for me. The only, you know, kind of knock that I have against him is just from like playing speed. I thought was maybe a little bit slower than some of the other guys, but I think he's got all the things that you would want. Uh, to really kind of build a, a good pass rusher around. Yeah, so I was talking about him the other day on, on my channel, and you can you can find him, you can get hands on him. He's not the most elusive uh, edge like a Thibodeau who can bend and dip and get around the corner, and it's tough to get hands on him. With Jermaine Johnson, you can get hands on him, but you can't do anything with him. And the intangible quality that doesn't stand out in the stat sheets or any of the measurable numbers is his eyes and instincts are very good, stuck out to me. He's one step ahead of the game, which you can't always say, especially at the college level where edge rushers are, are trying to get to the quarterback. They want those stats. They want their draft, uh, you know, their draft stock to rise. Jermaine Johnson is not a technician uh, as far as like his bend and 
maybe his hand usage could use a little bit a, uh, of work, but he can stand, stand up. He was a, a standout in the senior bowl and his play strength is, is, is awesome as well. So if he gets an offensive tackle off balance, he is going to finish the, finish him. And even though, even during reps where the offensive tackle gets an early advantage, he can use his strength and his eyes to figure out where the ball is going. Uh, and of course, when you're an offensive tackle and you have your back to the play, you know where it's supposed to go, but you don't know everything else going around. You know, you have your back to the play. So Jermaine Johnson, one step ahead, NFL body, good eyes and instincts, room to grow. I mean, he's definitely would be a dream pick for me at 14 because I think that uh, he's there's not much difference between him and the other guys I have in the top 10. Yeah, Justin Rebeck had him fall into us, and I was so happy to see that whole that whole thing looked like he was uh, drafting off of like my kind of board. I love I loved a lot <laughs> about that draft that he posted today. Um, I guess I mean we talked about some of these top guys. Maybe some of them are a little out of reach. I think the the next thing we might want to talk about is um, the tier below. I think it's reasonable to expect that the Ravens might get one of these guys uh, in the next tier if they miss in the first round. Uh, talking about guys like Boy Mafe. Um, I know that you really like uh, Cameron Thomas. Uh, I don't know if there's any other names you wanted to kind of throw out there as some of the later uh, day two kind of guys. Yes, at the edge, there are plenty of opportunities, I believe, in every part of every round through the first few rounds. So if you want to maneuver the board to get one of these guys, you can do that. Say, hey, okay, let's trade back. We can get an Ebicady or we can get a Mafe or something to that effect. They can they can do that. Cam Thomas is my positional favorite. Also wanted to throw in for anybody that wants to see the board, I'm revealing it show per show with some great guests and uh, adding to it. So you can get a feel for the board and, and where I have them ranked. But uh, Cam Thomas plays like a Raven. I know it's overused uh, phrase and kind of rings hollow for some, but the guy's hands, his toughness, his positional flexibility. I think Cam Thomas could is one of those guys that could play a McPhee or a Zadarius Smith type role in the defense. He's not very flashy, but he's great against the run and he will pressure your quarterback. He will be able to finish. I have him at number 51 on my board. So if you're looking at some of these guys slip into that uh, third round where we have a pick in the middle of the third round, that would be where I would uh, target a guy like Cam Thomas, again, who I have 51st on my board. Lot to love about his game, man. It's just a uh, very polished football player. And somebody I think that'll be uh, safe to say he's going to play a big role. Violent hands, generates force. His power will definitely translate. He wants to force the action. Good eyes. He, his only uh, knock I have on him is that he plays a little short and can lose the ball by ducking his head. But if he loses early in the rep, guys, he will use a spin move to disengage, plays with urgency. I mean, he's the last guy to jog on a play. He's, he is going all out, whether that plays across the field from him or not. So it's it just screams Ravens pick to me, Cam Thomas. And uh, I think he'll be a great pro no matter what scheme he fits in. Definitely, yeah. Um, I'll admit he's not one of the guys I've watched the tape on, but um, yeah, they heard great things about him. I think he's definitely someone the Ravens could look at. Another guy that we haven't talked about yet, Karloftis, what are you guys' thoughts on him? I saw some tape on him today, and I'm seeing the notes we have here, and I agree. NFL, not really have the best body from an NFL standpoint, not the most skilled guy, but I love the effort that I saw from this guy on the tape. And, you know, again, another guy, maybe not the best against the run, but 
seems like he could definitely be an effective pass rusher at the NFL level. Um, any thoughts on Karloftis? Yes, I, I think Karloftis is getting a little bit of a bad rep uh, because I think that he is definitely a first-round pick. I just don't think he's as talented as the edge rushers I have ahead of him. But with Karloftis, you have it, it, it's a tough evaluation because he was getting double-teamed and triple-teamed at times. So there were games, Peter, where I looked at Karloftis and I could not judge him one bit. Like, well, okay, he's getting double teamed and triple teamed. They're basically saying the rest of this Purdue defense is trash. All we have to do is stop Karloftis. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting a good feel for what he can do when he's, you know, one-on-one with a left tackle. So it took me a while to dig. I think he has, I think he has an idea with his pass rush moves. So I see the cross chop, the swipe, the other things, active hands. He can stand up. He can be in a three-point uh, stance. He's quick off the snap, good versus the run. It's just the play strength, I think, is the one thing where he's overrated for a big guy. He's not a strong, strong guy like a Jermaine Johnson or a Trayvon Walker, but he is quicker than those guys. So a big guy who doesn't play as big plays a little smaller, but the pass rush moves are there. Uh, end of the first round for me all day. Somewhere in that, I'd say, I don't know, 17 to 25 range, I would put money that he, he goes there because that just there, there's a, there's a tier there where, you know, he's going to be a good pro. The floor is too good. And again, if you watch Karloftis, if you're watching one game and you're catching the wrong game, try to find him in another game where he actually has a chance against a good left tackle. So uh, that would be my, that would be my advice on Karloftis. Don't let your first impressions ruin or uh, hype up your impressions of him. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that. I, I think my I haven't watched too much film on him just a little bit before this uh, show, but the initial thing for me is I feel like the the speed is there, but part of me was wondering if he had enough moves to be as effective in the, at the NFL level where the quarterbacks are getting the ball out a little bit faster. I felt like there were a few sacks there where they were definitely effort plays and he was able to chase down the quarterback and make it. It just, I felt like if he had a little bit better move, a little bit better set to be able to go inside or something, he might have been able to get there a little bit faster. Um, and that's what you need to do at the NFL level. So, but I, I totally agree with that, Jason. I, I think he still could be a first round talent. It's just something where I would be upset if the Ravens picked him at 14. But if you trade back and like maybe he's still there, I, I think it would be okay. Yeah, so I don't see much of a difference between him and say a guy like Boye Mafe, mm. uh, as far as talent wise goes. You could, you could, or even Ebikati, different style of player, but uh, it depends, different flavors, what you like. And, uh, but yes, I think Karloftis can fit in odd fronts or even fronts. So if you're a 3 4 team or a 4 3 team, Karloftis is a player, man. He's going to win his share of matchups. And uh, I believe that he's a good player. I think he's getting some unnecessary quote-unquote, hate. Uh, he doesn't deserve to be in the top 10. I think that you guys agree with that. Upset at 14. I would be upset if we took Karloftis at 14 because there would be other players that I liked much better. But I don't want to knock the guy. I think he's a first-round talent all day in this draft. And uh, I think he's going to make some team very happy as a full-time starter. Awesome. So you want to go over to corner? Sure, sure. I think the one thing we got to say, it happened today. I'm so sad to see it. But uh, Chris, Chris Westby, Chris <laughs> I, just Westby. Did, I just did like you did, Peter, last week. Yeah, Chris Westry. I, I think uh, a lot of people have. I don't think I'm the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris Westry is uh, going to the Panthers. He's, I guess, really good buddies with Bozeman and uh, 
let's just see what they're doing down there. So disappointing to say the least uh, that he's not going to be on the Ravens. I'm not sure uh, why the deal was not able to get done there. Say a prayer for my buddy Garnett West, who was on the Chris Westry train very, very early last year and got the joy of seeing him make the roster, got the joy of seeing him play pretty darn well when Wing put him in good situations. So congratulations to Chris Westry. I think the Panthers got a uh, still a young player with a lot of talent, side speed, everything. So, so yes, it's it's pretty clear, though, that the Ravens will be look. It's in my opinion, that the Ravens will look for a corner in this draft and probably double up on one. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I think they kind of have to, if for no other reason than what we saw last year when there were so many injuries. Marcus Peters, obviously, is getting older. Uh, we'll see if this is his last year in Baltimore. And with Tavon gone, Chris Westry gone, Averick gone, um, Jimmy Smith on his last legs, all of a sudden, there's a huge need for depth at that position. So, um yeah, I agree. It, it makes a lot of sense for them to target multiple guys in this draft. And uh, there's a lot of intriguing names in this uh, draft. Um, I guess we can start out with Derek Stingley, even though it would be surprising if he was available at 14. Maybe it's a guy the Ravens would trade up for. Pretty physical guy. Has good ball skills. Um, you see his highlight tape, at least. Um, has really good hands, uh, really good technique in grabbing the ball. Um, this Ravens secondary is in need of more guys who can convert turnovers. Stingley did a great job at that at the college level. And at least in the tape I saw, something you really like with him is he's got really good man technique. Stays very close with the receiver. Was able to win in contested situations. Again, probably a guy who's not going to be available at 14, but if he were to fall to the Ravens, I think they would have to give him some heavy consideration. Yes. For me, if he's there at 14, of course, it always depends on who else is there. I mean, if Stingley's there and a guy like uh, Iki Okwanu or somebody's there, of course, you take who you think would be the better player. But Stingley is in that top 10 for me. And uh, I think that there is a chance that he could slide to 14, kind of a hot take there. I've seen him there in some mock drafts, but the reason is the magic word Liz Frank, which uh, scares Mm -hmm. the heck out of coaches. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Stingley, just to recap, came on the scene his first year. What was he, 19 years old or something like that, as part of a championship run for LSU, making some tremendous uh, interceptions like you alluded to. Just tremendous ball skills. He can move. He's everything that you want in a cornerback. And then, of course, 2020 was a messed up year. 2021, he played. His tape was a little more inconsistent. And then, of course, he has to have the Liz Frank taken care of after the season. So to me, you know, if you put context clues together, maybe Stingley just wasn't healthy for most of 2020 and 2021, where that foot kept cropping up and he's wondering what's wrong. And uh, he still gutted it out. Put it, you know, and put out some good tape despite playing through the Liz Frank. So Liz Frank obviously is just a tricky injury for your foot. Uh, it's a foot injury, and it's not one of those things where, okay, if you you know you tear a pec muscle like Marlon did or something like that, get surgery, get it fixed up, you're fine. You're relying on your legs more more than or relying on your legs more than your arms anyway. Uh, Liz Frank can linger and can be tough to come back from. So. Maybe that works in the Ravens' favor here, and he is in that position to where he drops. Even if he drops to like 12 or 13 or, you know, they want to get up ahead of the Browns to take him, 
they could do that. Yeah, I, I definitely would. I mean, I, I love the tape on this guy. I mean, he's a, he is one of those top guys at, at a press corner role. I mean, like you said, Peter, his ability to kind of shadow guys and push them toward the boundary is just unmatched in my opinion. I think a lot of these guys uh, below and even in the second tier, I think they'd be better in you know, maybe like a cover two, cover three scheme where they're kind of, they got the eyes on the quarterback and they can sort of react to the play. Stingley's one of those guys, like you put him on an island and he's fine. Like he's going to take care of it. And I, I do think the the one kind of key thing too that kind of distinguishes him and, and really kind of puts him at like that top tier for me is that even when he does that, he still is able to get his head around really quickly to make a play on the ball. Um, it's just amazing and how fast he's able to turn around where you know he's got his eyes on the receiver and he's following the receiver and then he has like this internal clock in his head like okay the ball's gonna be thrown now turn head and make a play pass deflection interception I mean it's just crazy Uh, like you said Jason I mean his freshman tape he had tons of plays like that Uh, was just fantastic so I mean if we could pair him with Marlowe I mean I think that's amazing secondary that you've got locked up for a couple of years for sure, and I think that was an, is an astute point, Chris, when it comes to the style of corners. One of the reasons I think that the Ravens could go early on corner is because the college game is seemingly kind of shifted. And when I talk to people who follow it closer than I, they it's something that they hammer home too, to where it's just a, a you know a lot of zone is being played. You're not seeing the wink style defense, of course, which is an yeah. over the top example of testing your corners and press man. So Stingley, uh, Sauce Gardner, those are the two guys that you look at at the top of the draft and say, yes, we can play any kind of coverage with either one of these two guys. And I guess I'll say my piece on Sauce Gardner. I was very hesitant when I went to watch him because of the hype, the nickname, the everything else. It seems like those are the type of players that the general public gravitates to. We want Sauce, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm like, all right, let me give this guy a hard look and you know, maybe my internal bias was being a little extra critical. And man, he is a tall guy with small man skills. He's a, he's a, he's a big corner that can play the small game and the big game. Love Sauce Gardner, number one corner on my board. And uh, somebody that I think will be reliably a great pro. And I like the way he showed up at the, the combine and everything in the suit and tie. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's a, like he's dressing for the job he wants, not the job he has, which Mm -hmm. is a quality that I learned early in my professional career and uh, worked out well for me. So if he's wearing the suit to the combine, like it's game day, I like that. I like that little context clue right there, just a personal preference. But no, as far as his overall game, it's tight, man. Sauce Gardner, you're not going to have a problem with him. He's going to be a number one cornerback for somebody in this league. Yeah, I definitely think the Ravens are going to try to get their hands on some of these top prospects because um, it looks like the league's going away from paying corners a little bit. Like they're still getting paid, but there's a lot of uh, hesitation. I may because of this draft class to get a lot of the, uh, I don't know if I want to say smaller contract guys, but some of the guys in free agency that are available just haven't gotten signed yet. I think it's because everyone's see how this uh, draft class shakes out. I want to uh, stir up some controversy. So uh, Trent McDuffie, Washington, Chris, your take, then we'll go to Jason. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, so I actually, I like what Jason said. The, the, the top two guys, Stingley and Sauce, I think you put them on an island. I think they're fine. I agree with that. Um, Sauce, for me, I think my only kind of downside is his frame, I think, is a, a little small. Um, you know, I wish it maybe you put on like maybe like 10 pounds or something of muscle, something like that. 
Um, I'm a little bit worried about that, but otherwise, like you see all of his, I mean, you see he can play press. Um, he's got good ball skills. He has the eyes. All that stuff's good. McDuffie for me, man. Um, I got to be honest. I just I don't think he fits the mo of what we kind of look for in a press uh, cover uh, corner. I think he's definitely one of those guys who could play better in a cover three scheme. Um, but I just I didn't love it. You know, he. I almost want to say kind of like. I see this from Peters occasionally where he kind of plays off like 10 yards, 15 yards and just kind of has his eyes to the quarterback and he does that a lot. Uh, But I know even Peters can play up and I mean, he can play a little bit of press man when he wants to Um, with McDuffie. I just, I didn't see that a whole lot and that kind of threw me off of like, yeah, maybe not a great fit for the Ravens. And some of the other things that I saw from the tape too, just kind of inconsistent tackling didn't like, didn't see him wrap up as much as I wanted to. He liked to kind of just lay a shoulder into guys or just get like a hand on them, but not really grab them uh, with his, with both hands. I don't love that. Uh, definitely don't want a secondary that can't tackle. Um, so I'm a little bit concerned around that. And I did watch some of his tape. I think somebody put up a mashup of, of his tape against Michigan and Oregon. And I just just kind of didn't see too much from him. Didn't really see a, a lot of stuff there that I really liked. So for me, I mean, if I, I just I don't think he's a guy that the Ravens should target, especially not a fourteen. Okay, well I have him at fourteen on my board, which means that he's probably would be, I would say, on my radar at fourteen. But obviously, there's going to be somebody else that I have higher if he's my fourteenth. The my, I'm not going to nail the first thirteen correctly. So uh, what I agree with first of all is that, uh, or what I disagree with first of all is the tackling. I think he's a hard-nosed, a good tackler. I think you can put him in the slot. He's good enough to tackle from the slot. So that's the that's the one thing about your analysis, Chris, that I, I would split with you on. Mm. But uh, with the scheme fit, I you know when I when the games I watched, he's playing left cornerback the entire game. So he is playing that Marcus Peters role. He's not playing against your ex receivers out on an island. He's playing in combination with the slot you know, the tight end over there and all that kind of stuff. So projecting him as a press man corner is going to scare some people away. I think he can do some of that just because of you have to really look. He wasn't asked to do it. Like I watched the Michigan game. He wasn't targeted once. And he's, you know, that says something because his running mate on the other side who played right corner the whole game, Gordon, who also could go in the first round. uh, It's not like they could pick on Gordon. You know what I mean? That's another talented guy. So the fact that they give McDuffie that much respect should tell you about his coverage abilities. But uh, it is kind of a projection. And actually, uh, James Ogden agrees with you, Chris, as far as McDuffie uh, not fitting the Raven system. But again, I think that if you put him on that left side and let him be the Marcus Peters and give him that combo routes to work, that kind of thing, or put him in a slot. Slot receivers are back off the line of scrimmage, so it's not like you can press a slot receiver anyway, uh, let him get his room, his space, and let his physical athletic ability show in his smooth movements, his hips. Like I, I try to, I have a positional favorite for every, for every position, but I try to stay away from the guys that are first rounders because of course everybody loves them. But when at the end of the day, I think I'm just going to bite the bullet, put McDuffie as my positional favorite, because it's not just you, Chris. I'm I'm fighting this fight, so to speak, with a lot of other analysts and people that watch the Ravens and say, "Well, he doesn't look like a doesn't look like the type of corner that the Ravens target." I see that, 
we have a new defensive coordinator. I think if you put McDuffie in the slot and let him, his athletic ability take over there, or if somebody went down, he can play outside corner. Like I said, I like him on the left side. Just love the prospect overall. The tackling, like I said, is the only thing that I, I don't, I don't see. Maybe I'll go back and watch that after the show because uh, I really haven't heard a lot of bad tackling reports on McDuffie. So I appreciate that, Chris. That's something I'm going to write down, actually. All right. I think it's a fair take, though. I mean, I, I would agree with you, too, that I do think, yeah, he, I can see him as kind of a Marcus Peters replacement. Definitely don't see him as a guy that would be like a Marlowe replacement, I think, for sure. I mean, that's Stingley or Sauce. Uh, you put them on the outside. Um, they can play like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, if, if if that's what the Ravens want and kind of want to have an elite slot guy that has potential to play on the outside, I mean, there is positional versatility in that. So, you know, I, I guess I could see it. But I'm not going to lie, if, if they do call his name at 14 and there's somebody else on there that I do like, I, I'd be a little upset. I'd have a wry smile on my face because he wouldn't <laughs> be my first choice, like I said. But I'd be like, I told you guys, I told you. <laughs> and, then, and then from there, I'd just be praying that he, you know, be praying to whatever God you pray to that he does that well of a job. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm the guy fighting the fight for McDuffie. I am a McDuffie stan, I guess, at this point. Hopefully he's, you know, hopefully he notices and he's listening to Ravens recap and, you know, can retweet me or something, I, you know, but yeah, Trent yeah. McDuffie, I see you kid. And uh, I'll play you in the slot. I'll play you at left cornerback and I trust your athleticism. Love the hips. He's, he's, he's the prototype, man. If he was, uh, I'd say this, if he was two inches taller and his arms were one inch longer then you guys, I think everybody would look at him a little different. I think they're fooled by the five eleven and a half size when the guy plays much bigger than that so that's another another fun uh tidbit i throw out there as far as why i like him so much so yeah i'm fighting the fight alec you, you feeling me on this buddy i'm feeling it man I, I i see what you're talking about i think it's time to kind of talk about you know again you're talking about everyone loves these first round guys but what are the chances like we only got one of those picks so let's go ahead and talk about day two guys or back of the first that might be uh an option Love Roger McCreary, and this is a guy that I'm getting some backup from from uh, from my counterpart. So we'll see how you guys feel about him. But he's taking his wins, he's taking some losses. He's a little short for what people like, but he is a competitor, man. Like you see him win good reps against pro receivers, and uh, it, it it isn't easy covering your Jamar Chases and, and such. In, you know, in the SEC, but McCreary is a guy that can go out there and do it. I think he goes in the first round. I don't see him as a second round talent. I think somebody's just going to be enticed with all the good reps he has against future pros or guys who are doing it in the league now. What do you, what do you guys think about McCreary? Because he seems like he should be a more polarizing figure out there, but everybody I've talked to in the Ravens community seems to really like this guy like I do. I'm a hundred percent. I'm with you, Jason. I think, I think for me, McCreary, when I saw his tape, fit what we want in at least a wink defense. Of he can play press man. He's super physical, and I mean, you mentioned you mentioned that. I'll just throw this out there. Our friends over the Deep Cover Pod, they had a mashup of him against Jamar Chase. When I saw that, I was like, I want this guy. Like if if right. Singler or Sauce aren't there, maybe we trade back from fourteen. 
I would definitely get him because he had some great tape against Shamar. I mean, he would he'd be able to, you know, cover him all these short routes. Uh, he would defend all of those. I think he jammed him at the line, really threw off the timing between him and Burrow. I think there was one bad play where he was uh, let Jamar get behind him, and it was like a thirty or forty yard pass or something that they got in the red zone. But then he his next rep, like he, I, I think I don't remember if it was an interception or he had a pass break up in the end zone immediately after that. So uh, you know. I just I love that tape from watching it, but he's got some good highlights for, for the rest of uh, the rest of the college year as well. Um, but yeah, I, I I think he just fits that you know press man kind of corner. You could put him in the slot too, um, like like you know some of his film it was against Chase. So I, I would really like him, but yeah, I just at fourteen I don't know uh, because I want I want to say that my my fear with him is maybe he might be a little bit too physical. He might have to improve a little bit on his technique uh, to prevent against like double moves or something. Uh, I'd be a little bit worried about that. But otherwise, I think there's a lot to like. Me too. I'm, I'm interested to hear if Peter or Alec has a take on this because like Chris said, he's super aggressive, just super, super aggressive. And you see those wow reps against guys like Chase. And it's just kind of like, uh, wow, this guy has this, the, the, you know, the makeup because he is plays so unafraid. He plays so aggressively and uh, you know, his arm length is going to scare people away. It's just, it is what it is. It's they're super short arms. I want to say 28 inches, something like that. But uh, you know, so that kind of takes away from maybe his upside as a press corner or his upside as a guy who can take the ball away from some of these bigger, longer receivers. who are going to have a little bit of an advantage over them. But as far as that dog mentality, unafraid, uh, playing rep to rep, his just makeup, his pedigree, everything about him is why I think he goes in the first round. Uh, 14, no thank you. I, I think that there are some uh, legitimate blue chip studs with very few negative reps or fewer negative reps out there than you can find on McCreary. But this guy will make somebody like people like number one, number two corner kind of conversation. I would say he's a bottom of the number one corner or mid to bottom number one or very top best number two out there. There are certain receivers. I think that stylistically you might want to keep them away from the longer, taller receivers, but anybody who's not that, you know, the other 90% of the league, he's going to be able to lock down, go step for step with them. So this might be a hot take, but my ideal thing that I would want the Ravens to do in the draft is, you know, assuming one of the guys that we talked about is still around at 14 for edge rusher. I would love them to get edge at 14 and then find a way to to trade back up to where they feel that McCrary would fall. Um, this might make for boring pod, but what you guys said about him, um, I'm in agreement. I think this guy is someone who, like you said, could get overlooked a little bit, but he just looks like a guy who's NFL ready. Um, and like Chris said, he's already shown against top talent players um, that he can go in there and he can give that effort and make their day hell, uh, make them really work for the extra yards and, and for catches. I think this guy is is would fit in great on the Ravens. Um, you're talking about how he might be a low-end number one guy, but playing with Humphrey and Peters, you know, that gives him gives him some time, gives him good mentors to, you know, work on some of the things in his uh, skill set that might need uh, a little bit of seasoning. So I would love if this guy falls to the Ravens, they're able to find, you know, a way to draft him at a spot that makes sense. 
Um, I think he would fit great for the Ravens and would do well against the receivers that the Ravens go up against in the AFC North. I could see this being the year that the Ravens do some real funky stuff in the draft, and it wouldn't shock me if we do trade a first from next year to get back in. Uh, just because the quality of this draft, maybe we want to stay in it with the picks we have, and we're like, oh, you know what? We're going to win the Super Bowl, so uh, you know, 32 is not looking that hot. Let's go trade away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly, I think there's some other guys that the Ravens could get, maybe in even the later rounds. Um, you know, I will say before we get to that, there are a few names on this list, and I think, that, you know, Jason, you can probably back me up here. Um, some guys who I think are probably going to be pretty good players. I just, I'm not sure if they're a great fit for the Ravens scheme. So people like Andrew Booth from Clemson, uh, Jalen Petrie from Baylor, uh, I'd even throw in Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska. I-, I think that they're all pretty good players. And I mean, you look at their highlights and they're great. But again, I think a lot of them are more of those kind of off coverage guys who um, are good because they have a good reaction time and they're able to make a play. But I just wouldn't trust them in the Ravens man heavy scheme. So, I mean, any one of those guys, I think, could probably fall into the first, maybe second round or something. Um, but two other guys who I think might fall, you know, maybe second third round maybe jason you can say where you have them on your board well i think the ravens might be interested in uh, marcus jones out of houston and kobe bryant uh, who also played next to sauce gardner in cincinnati i think both those guys definitely could play in our man scheme Uh, marcus jones for me is actually almost kind of like a roger mccrary light Um, gave me real vibes of of tavon young honestly of he's a pretty small guy Uh, i think he's like five eight or five nine uh, so it's not a very large uh, corner but uh, one thing I like about him, super physical, and he hits his top speed really, really quickly, uh, which is great. He was able to recover from a lot of plays and uh, make a tackle. Um, even if he wasn't in on the play, he'd be able to chase guys down. Um, the other good thing about him as well is that he's a very explosive punt returner, so he can kind of uh, be an option for us there in special teams. And then Kobe Bryant, um, for me, I think kind of reminded me of Anthony Averett, of one of those guys who's kind of solid, um, you know, obviously not a sauce gardener, but he's one of those guys who who can definitely play um, and play in a man scheme. Um, and he has some ball skills as well. I think he had a few interceptions over there on the other side. So, um, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure where he might fall. It's it's a little it's a little interesting because I feel like the guys from Cincinnati and then you have the guys from Washington. Like you have these two cornerbacks on these teams who are you know both good, both can play, uh, but you know one of them is is clearly kind of that top tier talent in McDuffie and Gardner. Uh, but the other guys, I'm not really sure where they might fall. Yeah. Booth Booth is the guy that I would pick on you with on that, Chris, because I think Booth has the size and the, and the pedigree to play press man. And you've, you've seen a little bit of that. He plays zone and press. And again, Chris, like this is the thing that I, I would say where I'm, where I'm kind of splitting with you on some of these guys is that they are asked to play a ton of zone. So yeah. man coverage is, is, is becoming a projection for almost all of these guys. So they're, they're, you know, yes, you could say, okay, I don't, you know, I've seen them sitting in zone, but you're going to say that about almost all the corners in this draft. So it's tough to project, but with Booth's uh, size, I think he did, he can do it. I mean, he's built like a press man corner. Obviously he had the poor sur- surgery kind of like what Bateman had. They phrased it the same way. So maybe it was a hernia or, whatever he had to get operated on. So we're not getting a chance to see his off season. Uh, like how fast is his straight line speed? How good are his movement skills? What's his three cone? 
How does he look in the field drills? So I bumped Booth a little bit below uh, McDuffie, but I'm sure some teams like Booth better than McDuffie. And you talk about an aggressive tackler, almost reckless. Like he's going to have to clean some of that up or he's going to knock himself out at some point every season. Uh, I mean, the man goes all out to play uh, and tackle the ball wherever it is. So Booth, yes, I love him. I think he's another one of those back of the first uh, first round type of guys because, again, with the core muscle surgery, maybe he's not participating in rookie mini camp. Of course, he wouldn't be. But OTAs, maybe he's eased in, but he should be a full go for training camp, that kind of thing. Maybe him being injured, he's in the building a little bit more. So I love I love Andrew Booth. I, I think he's going to be a uh, another good starting corner in this draft, part of that top tier where the Ravens, I believe, are targeting. As uh, we all agree, we there are help wanted sign outside. No Westry, no Jimmy Smith, no Tavon. We're looking for some young blood in in corners. It looks like this year, guys. Definitely, yeah. Uh, I mean, another area where you know we, we already talked about it at the top, but um, where the Ravens will be looking to get. Uh, younger and and some more bodies is defensive line. Alec, do you want to lead off um, with this? Because I know there's one of these guys who you're really excited about. I am. Are you still? I mean, look, man. The <laughs> Maybe Georgia I misinterpreted boys. your um, <laughs> this. <laughs> so here's my like top top level take on the defensive line class is it's extremely top heavy. If you really want to get a guy who's going to be multi dimensional. Um, and and you really kind of produce interior pass rush. You got to get them early. Uh, there's only three names I'm particularly in love with, maybe four. And then after that, it's like a lot of projects are run stuffers that I'm just not like as hyped about. So, uh, I mean, you got to talk about the Georgia boys. You know, we all love the Georgia boys. Wyatt and Davis are... They're different, man. You watch the the combine, like me and uh, me and Jason actually watched these guys together, and they look completely different than the rest of the defensive linemen. Like, the, just the way that they move is is incredible, and then it, it shows up on the film too. So, um, you know, Wyatt, three tech that just jumps off the screen, good burst and bend, uh, solid against pass and run. He might be the best interior defensive lineman in the whole um, draft. And if it's not him, it's probably going to be his buddy Jordan Davis, uh, just absolute freak, six foot six, three hundred and forty pounds. He needs two blockers every single play. Uh, insane athleticism for the size. Um, everyone wants to know if he can play three downs. Um, he wasn't really asked to do that. His snap count went down and his production went up. So everyone's like, "Oh, like you know, does he need to be staying fresh?" Um, but I mean, even. Even if he's a two-down player, he's going to be an extremely dominant two-down player. So, you know, those are really cool guys. So I have a question for the esteemed panel here. It's something that I've been asking everyone that I've talked to. So I want to hear from you three guys. I'll give you an option A and an option B. Give me your percentages. What's the, what's the percent chance Jordan Davis falls into option A? What are the chances that he's more of an option B? So option A, I'll try to keep it simple. He's a Haloti Nada. Nandamakin Sue, uh, Vita Vea, he's a rec- a game wrecker. You can play him two-thirds of the game. He's going to get you five sacks. You're going to have to double-team him on rod downs. You're going to have to double-team him on passing downs. He is a, just a complete nightmare, and you start the game by trying to figure out a way to uh, minimize Jordan Davis. 
Category two, just a slight change in the semantics there. He is a dominant two-down player. You still have to double-team him. He's going to push the pocket, but he's not going to get you a bunch of sacks. He's not going to finish off the plays. It's more of a guy that you can manage, but not giving you a complete headache. If you double-team him, you're going to be okay. So if you had to put a percentage on it, is he Haloti Nada, or is he more of a Brandon Williams? What say you guys? I mean, I'll jump off and say that he's a... I think he's a Nada, man. I think... uh, You want a percent? I'll, I'll say... 78 percent i i just lean towards he's going to be a real a real good player i will uh preface with he's not a guy i've watched a ton of tape on at this time um so i can't give the most informed answer um what does always worry me slightly about these guys who get hyped up by you know maybe a combine uh performance or you know jadavian Clowney comes to mind as well where he had that that highlight reel where he you know just through an offensive tackle who's probably an accountant now to the ground and, and had that five-yard stuff of, like, are, are we letting a hype of what someone did at in one instance at the college level or at the combine overshadow, you know, who they actually are as a fundamental football player? Which isn't to say that he can't be, but to me, at least, I didn't hear about this guy until he had the, the big combine that he did which does give me a pause. But again, like I said, I haven't watched enough tape on him to give a further take than that. Well, Peter, I'll jump in here with a, a strong take before uh, Chris goes. And that is that he was, he, you need to watch more tape. That's all because he, he gotcha. progressed. <laughs> yeah. He progressed from, you know, in his time at Georgia and the more you watch him, the more you'll like him is kind of the, what, what I'll say about that. Like he, he was on people's radars before the combine, but he just blew that combine up to the point where it answered a lot of questions. And also, Peter, I wanted to say my main beef or question mark with him is that he played at Georgia at 360 some pounds and he showed up at the combine at 340. So like I was talking to somebody the other day, I can't imagine the coaches looking at Jordan Davis saying, hey, man, 340 isn't big enough. We're going to need you at 360. Like to me, that's a, a self-control, a discipline thing with Jordan Davis that he's going to have to manage, uh, you know, a day-to-day in his life. And uh, I believe Jake Vogel, our resident Georgia expert, said that Jordan Davis had a quote where he's like, "Look, I I want to live a long, healthy life. You know, my health is important to me. I've realized that." So where he's trying to turn the corner and stay within a you know a reasonable, he doesn't want to blow up too much with his weight. He wants to keep healthy and and undermanaged, but. But yes, I would say that that would be my main concern. Like, is he going to have to work really hard to stay at 340? I mean, just an enormous human being. And what does that do to his snap count? So, uh, yeah, I just had to I had to interrupt there, Peter. But yes, he has a good body of work and he's improved on things like hand technique and things like that. So he's got that kind of like a Dafio way where he's not all the way there, but you can see the progress from year to year on. Yeah, I think the only thing I was going to add is just, I mean, I, I think clearly from a lot of the Georgia tape, um, I mean, just their defensive line was just ridiculous this past year. I mean, yeah, between Wyatt, between Davis, between Walker, just, I mean, pretty much any offensive line that they were playing, like they were just blowing guys up. Um, everybody was winning their reps. Um, so, I, you know, I think all of those guys are good. Um, you know, I, I, I do think I agree with you guys. I think he could be one of uh, those great players who can affect, um, affect the game 
um, and can be that game wrecker. I think the the only question for me is just like, yeah, it's just it's just to what level, right? I mean, clearly he he has the tools to be able to uh, win those matchups, but the question is to you know how much can he you know how much can he blow it up? Because again, I mean, he's playing with some you know other first round top ten talents on that line, so you know he still could be a top ten talent, but. Is he going to be able to wreck those games himself, or is he going to need some other guys there to to kind of really hit that full potential? I'm not sure. Um, I you know I I could see it. Like part of me would really like to take a defensive lineman, uh, you know, hopefully a transcendent player in the first round because we just we haven't had that player in a really long time. Um, but I, I'm really not sure just kind of how I feel about it. I I really like the guys that are at edge and at corner, and I think that the Ravens have a need there. I just. Yeah, I just uh, I'm really curious to see if if Eric DaCosta chooses to kind of go in that direction given where the league is going. I just I don't know if that's the best pick to make at 14 or not. Um, but I, I think he he's definitely going to be a good player for somebody. Gotcha. So so Wyatt was a tough a tougher uh, evaluation for me because with Jordan Davis next to him. <laughs> He, he got a lot of one-on-ones and uh, you know, if you go project and he's one of your better defensive linemen, you're not going to have that luxury or he's not going to have that luxury at the next level, but his traits and skills just blow you off the page with how quick he is. He will be quicker than whoever you put at guard next to him. The only knock or question mark I have with Devonte Wyatt is that he's going to need a little bit of improvement in his run defense when he's double teamed. Kind of like what we saw with Matabike, where if he was getting double teamed, he was getting washed off the spot. And uh, I think with some, we saw improvement from Matabike in that area this year. And I think Wyatt will develop most in, in most the same way. He just wasn't getting a lot of double teams at Georgia when Jordan Davis was on the field next to him. So, uh, you know, as far as corkscrewing that leg, getting that foot lateral and just really holding your ground, that's something that Wyatt needs work on. But what he does at a high level, is something that I am just yearning for. And I have Wyatt and Davis, by the way, top two players outside of that top 10. So 11 and 12, I could flip-flop them all day. But I want that disruptive force like a Devontae Wyatt. And Alec mentioned it. It's hard to find those guys. You're either going to draft them early or you're not going to get one. I mean, it's just that simple. Or if if you get a disruptive pass rusher from the inside, he's going to have many other holes in his game. So Devontae Wyatt is one of those guys that I think can stay on the field during rundowns, can play 60, 70% of the game as much as the Ravens want to use him and still, of course, rotate and save him on some other downs. But love Devontae Wyatt, and uh, he's a guy I could, I could really easily justify the Ravens taking at 14 if the board is dried up. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me. They have him more in the 20 range. But I really believe in Devontae Wyatt, and I think part of that is just my own personal bias, is I want a, an inside, an interior defensive lineman who can just shoot gaps and make life uh, really tough for the quarterback. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll just go ahead and talk about uh, some of the other two guys that kind of excite me um, in this class. I like Travis Jones. I think the biggest issue with him right now is that we signed Pierce, so I think he feels a little redundant and might not be uh, the best fit anymore the team and then uh perion winfrey from oklahoma this guy's really interesting so he was pretty raw um and his stock dramatically increased after the senior bowl he actually won the game's mvp he just plays with really high energy and uh i think he's the kind of guy that 
could have Pro Bowl talent if refined. And like, I don't know if there's another player in the class other than the you know the top two guys who we can say that about. And then after that, it's kind of a bit of a fall off. Like, there's parts of their game. These other players like Mathis and Demarvin Leal that are good, but like, it's not great. It's not like I don't. I just don't see them being much more than a replacement level player essentially like a, a plus starter maybe but like you know i think you're looking for a difference maker where these guys are going to be drafted i think they're going to be kind of overdrafted for what they are yes alec especially when you're talking about between the guards or right over the guard there are you know that three tech that dominant uh, three down player i 100 agree it's Devonte wyatt Travis Jones is kind of an oversized uh, three-tech, more of a nose guard, but I think he could handle some of that three-tech. Perrion Winfrey is definitely kind of like the last call for a guy with superstar potential at that position. My only problem with uh, Perrion is his in-game awareness, his eyes. He can get lost. Like, he'll shoot the gap and win, but the ball is, you know, he's the last one to know that the ball's over there and away from him. So he needs that experience. But when you put him in those one-on-one drills and the senior bowl and all that stuff, you can see that he is much more talented than the guys around him and just a dominant, dominant force on the inside. So, so yes, Winfrey is a, is a very interesting prospect. I love eyes on defense guys. I love guys that have uh, instincts who can see what's happening and really get beat you to the punch. Winfrey does not do that, but he wins on sheer athletic ability. And I have Winfrey at number 40 on my board. So he'd be a guy, if he was there in the second round, I would be comfortable with taking him. All right. Next position we'll look at is inside linebacker, uh, which right now with veterans LJ Fort and Josh Bynes currently free agents, the Ravens right now at that position have Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. Uh, Patrick Queen um, obviously has shown flashes, has had some plays he'd like back as well, um, Those has shown improvement. Uh, Malik Harrison has been fighting for playing time, and the Ravens would like to upgrade there. I will admit uh, I'm not the best scout of the inside linebacker position, but from what I saw, it seems to be a deep draft, and there's a lot of interesting names. Um, what I'd say my general takeaway from this position group was there was a lot of guys who have some interesting talent. Each one has a, a one or two drawbacks as well, but definitely some potential with some of these guys. If I'd have to look at one guy who stands out in my mind, who would probably be uh, a second-round guy, Christian Harris from Alabama came into the combine, second-fastest 40 time among linebackers, uh, three-down guy, made some big plays at Alabama. Now, he can be inconsistent with his tackling angles. I did see that on film and does have some motor questions, but you watch this guy on tape, he can blitz up the middle. I think he would pair well with Queen. Uh, I don't know if that's the direction the Ravens are going to go, but he is an interesting name to look at. I like Christian Harris. He started as a true freshman so that, that at Alabama. So that, that'll tell you something about his athletic ability. But I'm with you on that, Peter. I, I question his eyes and instincts. And I think it takes him just a little bit too long. I mean, we're talking split seconds here, but that's the difference in the game. Uh, it takes him a little, little longer to identify what's happening and get there, which negates some of his speed and just overall athleticism that you talked about. 
But yeah, second round player, I think all day. I have a second round grade on him. I think he'll go there. Uh, obvious pedigree there. And a three down player. I think he can handle Mike and he can stay on the field for you. Play close to 100% of the snaps. And you could do much worse with a, with a player like that. My only bugaboo is that in this draft with the other needs that we have, pressing needs, I'm not sure if second round is where I would take a linebacker. It's just too early for me. I'd be looking at third round at the earliest and probably fourth round to try to find someone that uh, we can fit in and rotate in that system. Just because, I mean, it, best in the best ideal world, you want the best player at every position, but that's just not possible. So inside linebacker is something that if we have to bring back Bynes or Fort and have one of these young guys compete with him and, and break into the league slowly, I'm more about that route than I am. Hey, let's spend a first or second round pick on a, another first, second or third round pick on a linebacker. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, <laughs> how I'd love the Ravens to draft edge rusher 14 and then trade up from McCreary. Um, in an ideal world, I would hope that they would not go that direction. But I think there's some interesting guys lower down. Chad Muma from Wyoming uh, is tackling machine, not the most physical linebacker. Uh, so you don't love to see that, but has some hops, which is interesting trait for a linebacker. It's a shot on his tape where um, he blocked a field goal, basically just standing straight up without even uh, rushing. So he's someone I think would be available around the third or fourth round from what I'm reading. Again, physicality is something he'd need to work on. And uh, some of the scouting reports on him, I read that, you know, he's more of a, a gap shooter, doesn't really shed tacklers and, and make his own space as well as you would like. But maybe someone that the Ravens could get later after they've addressed positions of higher need who could uh, show some potential. Yes, and I'm interested to hear Chris's uh, and Alex take on this too because when I look at this linebacker class overall, it's like there are two different positions at linebacker now, and it's very clear. Most of these guys, like Muma, are running chase tacklers, like a Patrick Queen, like a Nicobe Dean. There are very few mics out there, and the mics that you can find aren't very good on third down. So it's like, do you want a running chase tackler who can probably cover? Well, they're pretty rare to find a three-down linebacker who can play Mike, play Will, stop the run, cover. I know Ken, Ken McCusick calls them unicorns. They're just not out there in that draft. Devin Lloyd is the one guy in this draft, and Quay Walker would be another sleeper. Quay Walker, if you look at my big board, he is my positional favorite. He's somebody that I believe in. Well, I know he can play Mike linebacker in this league. Same with Devin Lloyd. Take on blocks, has the eyes, instincts, gives you the pass rush, all of that but could also stay on the field for third downs. So it's kind of go big or, or just get a role player in this linebacker group. I like Christian Harris. Uh, it's a shame, uh, Damone Clark. I don't think people are even aware this guy had spinal fusion surgery and is going to be out for his rookie season. So that's a really, really tough break prayers up to Damone Clark because he would have been drafted in the you know third round at the latest, I believe, in this draft. Uh, another guy I like is Tyndall who was the third linebacker for, for Georgia, believe it or not. So he was playing behind Nicobe Dean and behind Quay Walker. But this guy splashes like nobody's business. Very physical linebacker that could be had in the third round, I believe. Uh, Channing is his first name, Tyndall. Very good player. And then, of course, the guy I want to get your opinion on is Leo Chanel, the linebacker from Wisconsin, 
who makes two or three well hits a game, brings the stadium to their feet. Uh, just an awesome hard hitter, shed blocks. I mean, he's the kind of guy like a Malik Harrison who can blow up a, a guy even like Quentin Nelson and make a tackle. Just tremendous in that area. Straight line speed. He blew up the combine with his 40 time. But then again, like Malik Harrison, a little bit stiff in his lateral movement. So you, you look at that 40 time that doesn't tell the story of quickness. And I believe that Chanel could be one of those guys that is quickness deficient and a two down linebacker. So I would love to hear you guys take on uh, Leo Chanel. I like Chanel a lot. Um, I remember we've talked about him a lot when we were watching the combine together. I mean, he just, he seems like a, one of those players that's really exciting. I've seen him creeping up boards though, which I don't like to see people are starting mm-hmm. to catch up on him. So I, I don't know if he's going to be there. I, I, I feel like he could be gone where I'm still liking other players more. And that's kind of my only concern about him right now. Yeah. And Alec, I think that can be said about a lot of linebackers because this draft is so thick in the middle, second and third round where you can get a guy that has the capability of a Leo Chanel, but at a position that's more valued say. So Chanel's number 68 on my board. He's got a second round grade. He's towards the end of my second round grades, but 72 guys in this draft uh, fellas that I have a second round grade or above one, which is probably a new record. I haven't tracked that kind of number, but usually I struggle to get to 50 guys that have a second round grade this year, 72. So Chanel is going to be bunched in with guards, tackles, wide receivers, uh, outside linebackers, that kind of thing, offensive linemen who are just as talented and have the same ceiling floor as Chanel, but just at a more valued position. So he's a guy, Alec, that I think even though he's creeping up the boards end of the third, maybe he's still there, man. That'd be good. I hope you're right. (laughs) Get him with one of our collection of fourth round picks. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well then, uh, yeah, let's round it out with safety. So, um, I, I think the first guy we probably have to talk about, although he might be probably is going to be gone by the time the Ravens get to him. But uh, Kyle Hamilton, um, I think, is the you know ubiquitous uh, number one safety in this year's draft. I mean, he's he's got everything you'd want. You know, with the Ravens picking up Marcus Williams, and, and with just you know, I, I think. Uh, Hamilton's, you know, a top five guy, I think, from a lot of people. It seems pretty unlikely that the Ravens might be able to pick him up uh, in the first round, but it seems like there are a lot of guys in the later rounds that maybe the Ravens might want to take a flyer on. Yes, I don't see Kyle Hamilton in a Ravens uniform for a couple of reasons. Number one, like you stated, Chris, he has got that blue chip talent, and he is going to go, I would say, I wouldn't say top five. I would say he's probably pretty safe in the top ten very safe in the top 13 before the Ravens pick. And then with the Ravens signing Marcus Williams and having Chuck Clark on the roster, having a combo guy like Brandon Stevens, having Geno Stone. I think I'm even forgetting somebody back there. Apologies, Tony Jefferson. Um, So, you know, there's not a, there's not a need for a safety on this team like it was before the Marcus Williams signing. So you combine the two factors and I don't see uh, Kyle Hamilton in a Ravens Jersey. But a uh, good player, great, great prospect. I think he'll make some team very happy. It's just not going to be in purple and black. Peter, any other names that kind of stuck out to you? I'll be honest. Um, there weren't very many safeties that I looked at here and seemed like great fits for the Ravens. Um, I guess one guy who kind of caught my attention, and Jason, you alluded to this guy at the top of the show, um, or maybe it was before we were recording, 
Kirby Joseph out of Illinois, mainly for, you know, just the, the playmaking ability that this guy exhibited at Illinois. Had five interceptions went as a starter, great size, and uh, if you w- look at him and catch, like, he catches you know, like a wide receiver. He's got great ball skills. And again, we're talking about, you know, the Ravens need to get more um, guys who can force turnovers. Um, I, you know, I think even if it's a position that you're stacked at, which safety is at the moment for the Ravens, um, if you can get a guy who can force turnovers, find a way to, to fit him into the scheme if, if he's there and it makes sense, you know? So that could be a guy, um, you know, who's available towards the middle of the draft that if the Ravens feel comfortable with the other value they've gotten already, um, and he's the best guy left on their board, I could see them going there. But it'll be interesting to see if they uh, do anything with safety, um, especially after uh, signing Marcus Williams to that huge contract. Yes, Joseph would be a guy before the Marcus Williams signing that I'd be all in on hoping we find a way to get him because I think he can handle single high safety. He can play in the post, two deep, one deep. Wherever you want to play Joseph, I think he's going to thrive. The ball skills are there, as you mentioned, Peter. The angles are there, the speed. And uh, I think people are sleeping on him, honestly, in this draft. I I think that uh, as hard as it is to find guys that can play free safety at a high level, that he should probably be gone, you know, in day on day two, but with the depth in this draft. It, he may slip to day three, uh, fourth round pick or so, which would just be a shame because he's a better player than that. When I look at the safety group overall, I'll just give you my, my overall opinion here. I see seven guys, six to seven guys that I think that are worthy of being drafted as far as they can do more than just a replacement player. Kyle Hamilton, Daxton Hill, Jaquan Brisker. You mentioned Jalen Petrie earlier. I see him as more of a slot corner safety uh, hybrid guy. So I'm going to put him in the safety group. Uh, Lawrence Seen out of Georgia. And then you have uh, a guy like Joseph. And then right outside of there, I have uh, Charles Cross, uh, Cross, of course, from Maryland. Sorry about that. Forgot his first name there. And then um, the guy that I also like is the kid from Cincinnati, Brian Cook. So you're looking at a pretty good group of starters there, depth safeties that I think can make a difference on the team. But, uh, but yes, with the Ravens signing, I don't see us really targeting any of those guys because I think that other teams will value them more than us. Daxton Hill is a guy that I'm in love with and I have higher on my board than other players, just because I think he's basically a Chuck Clark type player, but just a better athlete. And uh, I think that he he will make a lot of plays in this league, kind of like we've seen with uh, Antoine Winfield uh, Jr. Uh, he's that type of player. He's got that type of speed and upside, strong safety, free safety, box safety, tackles like a maniac. He can do it all. Interesting, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's funny when I was doing a lot of the uh, research on Jalen Petrie. Is is funny, yeah. That I kind of got the same vibe of. Uh, I saw him on the cornerback list, but then when I was watching the tape, I was definitely like, this guy doesn't really seem like a corner. He seems very much more of like that slot safety hybrid. Again, you kind of always seeing him react to the play and he'd make a ton of plays, but it just, you know, wasn't, you know, didn't see him kind of play up on the line as much. He kind of mostly saw him kind of in the slot close to the line kind of thing. What uh, saying, what sort Chris, of grade do you have on him, uh, Jason? Do you have him in the, is he a first round guy, a second round guy? 
Petrie for me is at 41. So he would be one of those guys that I would value in the second round. Of course, if, you know, your list isn't going to go the way, but I would predict he goes in the second round. And again, Chris, this is coming to what we talked about earlier in the show. It's all guys playing off coverage, bro. Like, yeah. are they corners? Are they safeties? Can they play press man? Uh, anybody's guess. You know what I mean? It's really turned yeah. into kind of a positionless football where they're trying to min- minimize the damage, my friend. Like, we'll give you that Steelers plan of attack where you just throw a five-yard screen. We're going to come up and we're going to tackle you. We're going to punish you. That kind of thing. And we're seeing it all over the game. So, yes, I, I like Petrie. Uh, I think he is a strong safety slash slot corner. You find a guy that you can man him up on and on the other team, and he will take care of that. And he can also play in and around the box. So love Petrie. And then Daxton Hill, again, is a better version of that. He, he played all over the place for Michigan. But you watch this guy tackle. He tackles like a linebacker. You watch him cover. He, he covers. I'm not going to throw out the Ed Reed word, but, I mean, he can play free safety. He can play strong safety. He can cover slot receivers. Love Daxton Hill. Uh, Man, if we we did if we wanted to make a bold bold move and say the bottom of the first, which I don't see, but a trade back scenario, he would be a guy where he could be sticking lay out like a sore thumb on our board as the best player available. Say if we were picking in like the mid twenties or so, and he just and he somehow slipped, it would be like man, Daxton Hill's still there. There's a guy that can get us a handful of interceptions and uh, and lock down slot receivers and play the deep half and just be a better version of what we see from, you know, Chuck Clark or Deshaun Elliott type where he's, you know, can play deep, can play in the, you know, can do everything uh, just at a higher level than those guys. Cause he's a better athlete. Yeah. Tremendous instincts on Daxton Hill as well. And that's the thing that I think that it takes a while. You have to watch the all 22, but he's taking away the quarterback's throws and guys are getting sacked because of it or balls getting thrown out of bounds, or they have to go to another read because of Daxton Hill. So he makes all those plays that you don't get to see unless you're watching the all 22. Um, just a player that gets better and better every time I watch them. I do feel like the safety position is the one that has maybe one of the least needs for the Ravens just because of the additions made in free agency and kind of the guys we have on hand and how they're developing. So we'll see if uh, there's a player that just screams that we need to draft them because they're just too high value. But I think that's the only way we're going to really see much of an addition there. Yeah, I'm with you, Alec, especially the way Tony Jefferson looked at the end of last year in the box. And then you have Chuck Clark in the box. And now you have Geno Stone and Marcus Williams that can play in the back end. And then you still have Brandon Stevens, who knows what's happening with him, but he can be a combo safety. So that's five guys, five young, good players that the Ravens have that can they can rotate in and out of safety and play all kinds of nickel and dime coverages uh, with those guys. So, so yeah, so I would kind of be surprised if we took one or uh, at all, maybe even in this draft, because you would just look at some undrafted guys who could play some strong safety for you, and, and that might be it. All right. So I know last year we exited this episode with each of us giving one guy who we thought would be uh, a Raven at the end of the 2022 draft. Uh, I look back at uh, what we said last year, and we all struck out for the defense, at least, if I remember correctly. Uh, do we want to try that again? <laughs> I, I was going to say, I have a particular favorite that I could see the Ravens landing. And we talked about him earlier in the show, and that's Marcus Jones of Houston. And uh, I forgot who introduced him as a return ability, but whoever it was, whether it was Peter or Chris, undersold this man's 
Dante Hall like upside as a returner. Um, Alec, I'm not sure if you have the numbers on Marcus Jones out of Houston, his return touchdowns and that kind of thing. I don't have them offhand, but this guy has like, and Harbaugh talked about how they're making it harder on the return teams to actually have returns. And he wants to see the kickoff push back to 30 and all that. So maybe that declines his value. Uh, but he, you know, Jones pr- pr- profiles is one of those Devin Hester type guys where you can't kick it to him. Uh, in addition to that, the Ravens are not afraid to take small, aggressive corners, uh, a la Tavon Young, that we just saw get let go. So if you want your 5'9 slot corner, who's also an elite returner, Marcus Jones, around the second or third round, he would fit that guy. If I had to take a wild guess, I think it's not a name. I haven't, I haven't seen his name on Twitter. He's been quiet in this offseason. But that would be a guy that sneaks up on draft day and people are like, who? And I'll be like, man, we just drafted like Dante Hall, who can play slot quarter at a high level. You guys, you guys don't know what you're talking about. This guy's going <laughs> to be an exciting player. So, yeah, I'll take a stab in the dark. Hopefully, Alec, you get to cut this up and play it later. Marcus Jones, future <laughs> Raven, question mark, period. Uh, take it for what it's worth. But that would be my guy that I could see the Ravens just splashing on and, and he would just turn right in. Not that Duvernay is not a great returner. He is. But Marcus Jones, I see another level. Alec, do you have any numbers on that? I could Google it real quick. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he had um, two last year uh, for kick returns and two for punt returns. So, uh, yeah, he definitely uh, is pretty electric. That was on 15 and 26 attempts, respectively. Yeah, so you don't kick it to him, bro. He's, he's, that, <laughs> he's that crazy. And then, of course, as a slot corner, he reminds me a lot of Tavon, man. 5'8", 174. Um, with tremendous ball skills. So, sure. so yes. So he had four, four this year. Yeah. He had four this year. He had one in 2020 and then he played at Troy before that. Um, in 2017, he had three on 30 attempts and uh, kickoff returns. And don't let that number fool you, Alec. You're talking about three return touchdowns. This isn't like three catches. <laughs> I know. <The> man, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are game changing plays that this man is making at a regular rate on the college level. So, yes, Marcus Jones, a guy I would be excited if we found a way to get in this draft and wouldn't be surprised if we kind of low key targeted here. I'll go ahead and throw out a name. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Jermaine Johnson. Uh, as much as I'd love Trayvon Walker, I just I think he might be gone at that point. Um, I think he he'd be like my personal. I'd really like to have him, but I think Jermaine Johnson might be a little bit more realistic for the Ravens to target in the first round. Um, it's no secret. I think I've been clamoring for the Ravens to get pick up edge in the first round for a while. But uh, yeah, I, I really love his tape. I think he could definitely be a guy that the Ravens could target, and he um, would play really well alongside of Oa. Jason, I, yeah, I gotta. I guess I love your love your pick with Marcus Jones, though. Um, I would absolutely love if we picked him up as well. Yeah, we kind of. Uh, we kind of skimmed over him uh, the cornerback section because we had a lot of guys we talked about. But yeah, I, I same thing, man. I when I looked at him, I'm like, yeah, he's way more explosive, Tavon. So would love to have a guy in there. Yes, I'm sorry. Are we going for the who we think we're going to target in the first round? Because I missed that part. I was looking at Jones oh, in no. like the second or third. No, no, no. I, well, I just I picked the first round guy because I don't know if I have a guy in the later round on edge that I would think that I would pick. So because I'll just, throw out a sleeper in the first round, and that would be Drake London wide receiver the Ravens want something different and I I think that they're poking around at wide receiver so it would not surprise me it would surprise me a little but it would not shock me if that first round pick 
is on a receiver like Drake London, who profiles to me as a better version of T. Higgins. I'm going to go ahead and say my guy is going to be Perrion Winfrey. I think the Ravens are going to find a way to end up with this guy. They want to shore up the defensive line, and uh, we'll go from there. So Chris took my guy. Um, I do think Jermaine Johnson is is the most likely guy that the Ravens will take um, in the the first round with that 14th overall pick if he's there. Uh, Thibodeau, I, 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 I think that even with the concerns about off-field or, or whatever it is that, that teams are shying away from him that isn't related to football, I, I, I don't think he'll drop all the way to 14. And Walker, everyone is enamored with the Georgia defense. I can't see him falling there. So I agree with Chris on Johnson. I'll also throw out that I, I do think McCreary is a guy that the Ravens would look at with their second pick um, if they're able to get him at a spot that makes sense. So I'll throw him out there as well as a guy who I think the Ravens could would definitely target. Well, awesome. Jason, thanks so much for joining us on this show. We'll definitely uh, be watching the draft closely the last weekend of April to see if some of these picks come true. Uh, definitely enjoyed talking about all these prospects. A really interesting and deep class. Alec, Peter, Chris, thank you guys very much for having me. It means a lot and always available to talk especially the draft like I'll, I'll i'll beg to get on the show let me talk about these pit prospects <laughs> because uh that is my baby in fact so thank you guys so much and uh yeah i i, I really appreciate it next week we're going to come with the offensive side of the ball um a lot of really interesting players available there offensive line wide receivers tight ends which i'm enamored with uh <laughs> we'll uh we'll break them all down so uh You'll know where to find us, Ravens underscore recap on Twitter. You can email us, feedback at ravensrecap.com. And we'll be back in just a week to talk more draft. Let's go, Ravens.